What's up, people? Back again, another episode. I was just getting some tweets, actually. People were like, where's the episode? Where's the episode? It's coming. I'm, I gotta record this intro. Uh, today was epic. We drove about an hour and a half to Amesbury, Mass. There's a skate shop that opened up there. My homie Wade, he opened up Underdog Skate Shop, and we did a All I Need Skate Jam. And really, we just went and checked out the new shop. He did a great job. The shop was like packed with skateboarding stuff there was tons of kids like a good skate community and amesbury was very beautiful it had all the the red boston red brick everywhere and it was just a sick town so we went we showed up at the shop kicked it there talked with all the kids and stuff and then we rolled to their skate park which is like a little prefab park but they added a bunch of diy stuff so it was really fun they like they added some rails and just stuff that, like, wasn't in the skate park. They just made it even better. So that, we skated that for a couple hours. Everyone killed it. There's Insta clips on allineedskate.com and at Anthony Shetler as well on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, it was a sick day. Then we went and got a meal with Wade at the end and kicked it. Had a couple beers. That was dope. Ramsey came, Corey Goonan, Billy Drown, Ryan Adelman, Evan came, Evan Evan from the Juice came, he's a flow rider, uh, all around sick day, man, uh, what else, what else, what else, damn, it's been so busy, time's flying, like I had Thanksgiving, I watched my niece give birth, I went to that, that was crazy, we're gonna actually do an episode, me, Ramsey, and uh, our other buddy Farazi, and it's gonna be the pregnancy episode, we're working on it, it's coming, me and Ramsey seen it, which is crazy, and then Farazi about Farazi is about to be a father, so we're gonna kind of try to scare him, <laughs> just to mess with him. Uh, that's coming. What else? What else? Uh, yeah, this episode is brought to you by All I Need Skate. You can check out our web store, allineedskate.com or allineedapparel.com. It'll take you to the same spot. We got windbreakers, hoodies, beanies, t-shirts, skateboards. Uh, if you guys. That listen to my podcast, if you're going to buy some of the apparel, there's a code, a promo code that I made specifically for you listeners for all the support. You can punch in TSS when you punch out, which is The Shetler Show, TSS. When you punch out, put that promo code in there, and I believe you'll get free shipping on all apparel. So that's your hookup, man, and uh, thank you for listening. It means a lot. I got some epic episodes coming out. Tim Gavin's coming back on uh, for round two, which is even et- more epic. Uh, I think I'm recording with Akil Brathwaite on Tuesday. I might have, um, who else, who else? We might, I got a bunch of dudes lined up. I'm trying to figure it all out as far as scheduling and how we can make it happen. But I got plenty of more podcasts for you skate humans. Stoked on everything. Today's guest is Kevin Marks. He's the man. Uh, I really enjoy speaking with him. He's just like real honest dude. We didn't even agree on everything, but it didn't stop us from being friends. Uh, this is actually this episode actually I recorded a while ago, and I couldn't find it, but I just found it and I was hyped and I listened to it and I was like, fuck yeah, I can't wait to share this. So this is dropping, and then we'll come back with another one next week. I love you, motherfuckers. Talk to you later. This This is is the Shetland Shetland Show. Show. Whatever you do, you have one thing that's unique. You have the ability to make art. art. And when things get tough, this is what you should do. Microphone check, one, two, one, two. Microphone check, one, two, one, two.
hope to get it. I'm sick of explaining history. I'm rolling with a circle of winners. We claim the victories. Yeah, yeah. Come on. It's about to be the realest shit you ever heard. You're in a transitional world right now. Yeah, it's just basically going for it. You know? Sometimes you don't think about getting hurt or slamming, but you know, it happens. It's skateboarding. You know, it happens every day. Yep. People are worried about skateboarding and the state of the industry. Yeah. The truth is, we are the industry. Yeah. Skateboarders are the industry. Experience, I guess, just because there's like, I've never seen like that many skaters in one place. Just like, it's like we take over the streets. So, what's up, man? A lot of stuff is up. Hell yeah. We, we were just saying, uh, you're out in San Diego. It must be nice out there, huh? Yeah. Outside of the fact that we are in a drought, that, uh, but, you know, that makes for plenty of sunny days. Yeah, I've heard about the droughts, and it seems pretty scary. You guys need a lot of water. We do. There's projections saying that uh, we could basically be out of water by next year. Crazy. And it's all your water comes from pretty much the Colorado River, right? Yeah. There, I think only 10% is generated from within this region, and the rest of it comes from the Sacramento area. And then the Colorado River from the from the uh, east of us, yeah. So you guys are living in like a mirage. It's really a desert, but it's an oasis. <laughs> it's like long as the water's there. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a desert, and that's what people tend to forget. <laughs> Hell yeah. Um. Okay. So like I said, we usually start. I love to ask people how they found their first skateboard and what kind of got them psyched on it. What, what was it all about? Right. So I'm I'm 43. And like a lot of people of my age, uh, Back to the Future was what <laughs> sparked my interest in skateboarding and sought me on a path of finding one. And, you know, so I believe that was the summer of 85 that that came out. And it took me a little while to find a skateboard at a toy store because I, I was, I grew up in Kansas. So, um, slightly isolated in the center of the country. And, uh, but our Toys R Us toy store had the Nash Fly Me board. That's <laughs> it. This is the one that had like a die cut grip tape with a flamingo on the bottom and it said Fly Me and it had black and pink two tone wheels. And, uh, that was my f- first board that I paid with lawn mowing money. Um, and then, I rode that into the ground just basically in my driveway and there were three blocks from our house. There was like a you know, little strip mall shopping center that I could go and skate around. And then, um, and then within probably six or eight months of, tra- of, you know, basically running that Nash board into the ground, I got a, a vision Gonzalez board at the, the local bike and skate shop in Kansas called that, Riverside. That is sick. I got a question. So was Nash ever like a legit skateboard company or was it, I don't like, that was before my time. So was it actually like, or was that always like the one at Walmart? I don't know too much history. I remember, you know, so basically in 85, you could find Nash and Veriflex at, the you know the toy stores the big box stores veriflex had roots you know with alan losey had roots in and lance mountain was on veriflex you know like so that at one point early on was a legitimate skateboard brand and then 
it either got sold to different family members and, you know, they took it the route of lower quality, higher volume. And I don't think, I don't know if Nash was, you know, I don't know what its origins are, but yeah, I, that's, that's what I had access to oh, <laughs> as somebody whatever, not knowing much about skateboarding. Whatever your first, whatever the first one is, is it doesn't even matter at that point. It's like you just want to roll around. Like, apparently you were watching Marty McFly and you're getting way hyped. You're like, I was, yeah. Marty McFly, I think, turned out to be Per Wheelander as a stunt double in those initial scenes back in the 50s when he has to run from Biff what? On, really? on the skateboard. Yeah, That was Per? Yeah, oh, that's, that's what crazy. I understand. <laughs> that's crazy, man. I met Pear when I wrote for Birdhouse and yeah. its distribution. I had no idea. That's so cool how that's tied up. <laughs> yeah. So what's going on in Kansas? Was there anyone else skating, or did everyone see Back to the Future and everyone was wilding out? <laughs> no, it was a pretty small scene, but uh, and I went to a private Catholic school, so nobody in my school skated but there were kids in my neighborhood that went to uh public schools that i uh met that skated and you know it was a pretty uh quick transition from me shifting out of my parochial school friends to my skateboarding friends because uh i played some sports as a as a youth and but once i found skateboarding it was pretty much all systems go just skateboarding 24/7 so how was how was a catholic school uh, I, I like what was that like uh you know a good education but you know you had to spend some of your time learning about religion and uh fairly strict uh uh um disciplinary rules but uh but you know that's kind of all i knew so it was you know, you had to wear uniforms, you had to wear nice clothes, and uh, um, it was strict, you know. But did it, uh, did it rub off? Are you religious now? I'm not religious now, but I was then. I I uh, I was I considered myself Catholic till I was about 26, and wow. until I found out more about things that were going on that I did not agree with. Yeah, I can't imagine, like, well, the way I grew up is just kind of like, it was a free-for-all. It was kind of, like, wild. I did go to church as a little kid. Like, my father would bring me, and uh, I always liked it because everyone was, like, super nice, and, like, we got to play in this huge field, and it was always, like, a positive thing. But uh, mm-hmm. I just remember as a little kid, like, listening to the stories and stuff and and just seeing holes and being like, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> I was always like, oh, I don't know. So to be surrounded in a Catholic school seems like a wild situation to me. Um, was it pretty positive and, like, just, just strict? Um, I wouldn't say it was all, all pretty positive, but it was... It was focused on academics, you know, so I, I, I did well in school. There was a lot of, you know, there was a, there was good direction at home and, and pressure to perform at, at school, so I was able to do that in addition to riding my skateboard a lot on outside of school time. I, I heard, so I'm under the impression that you worked a lot and you saved up money through, cause I remember we were speaking about Clemens a little bit and he also 
mowed lawns and that's kind of where he started with his like collecting money and hustling and is that you got into that as well i did but yeah from a very early age uh we moved to a new house uh, when i was eight and uh in 1980 and uh so by by the time i was 10 or 11 i was mowing uh upwards of 10 or 12 yards in my neighborhood. Yeah. Just hustle. All, hustle. <laughs> all yards that I could, you know, walk my lawnmower over to didn't, wasn't driving yet. And, uh, but I never, unlike Clemens, I never expanded outside of what, you know, I never had a trailer. I never had a truck. I never worked any other employees. I just did everything myself and just had up to like, yeah, about 15 yards at, at my max, but I did that all the way through high school until I went off to Colorado for college and put away a lot of money. That is awesome, man. Did your parents tell you to do that? Who told you? How did you know to do that? Well, you know, we got I got a small allowance as a kid for taking the trash out and that sort of stuff, but my my parents um, definitely, my, my parents as well as other people, like family members and friends of the family helped kind of steer my direction for, uh, seeing the value in saving money and not just blowing, th- blowing money frivolously. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in the, in the 80s, I was putting a lot of that lawn mowing money into certificates of deposit that were earning, you know, I don't know, remember, 14, 18% back then. So, Sick. you know, now you, you, certificates of deposit are about, I don't know, half a percent if that. So, um, that's why, so, you know, so, so you started to learn that, okay, you save money, but you're also making money off this money you saved by getting, you know, decent interest dividends back then. And, um, and so, so I don't know. So in in I had to pay for my skateboard stuff, and you know, so I had to. So there was incentive for me to make money to to put into my skateboarding stuff. But part of part of my hustle before I got my first job at a skateboard shop uh, in Kansas was to, you know, I saw value in in my used equipment that I would resell, you know, I'd use it for a while till it was, you know, uh, till I I was ready to get a new board, but it was still certainly good. You know, and back in those early days, there was, you know, your stuff had rails and tail (laughs) guards and everything else on it. So I would resell all my old equipment and I, I'd borrow my mom's station wagon and, and cruise around to the ramps in town and, have like a box in the back of the station wagon with with used stuff and um make a few extra bucks you know basically just build turn turn that money into newer equipment for myself that's so cool you're just flipping it you got it skate it flip it get some new stuff keep it moving Mm -hmm. so how how did you get hooked up working for a skate shop in um kansas well i was around a lot and the owner it was a sailboard shop (laughs) you know in kansas there's a lot of wind and so this guy had made a sailboard shop called paradise sailboarding and 
you know, 86, by 86, he'd seen that there was a lot of kids coming in asking him for skateboards. And so he branched out and turned uh, a portion of his retail space over to skateboarding. And he needed somebody to, you know, that kind of had their finger on the pulse of skateboarding as far as what to order and, you know, somebody that could put boards together quickly. And, and I just, um, was there enough and was able to communicate with this adult, you know, since I'd been communicating with multiple, uh, lawn clients for, for years that, um, you know, we just hit it off and, and he offered me a job. So I worked there from being 16 until 18. And I think that my first year of college, I came back and worked the summer for him, uh, selling skateboards. I like, I like that you, um, you learned how to like to communicate with mowing lawns, having clients and having to like kind of be business oriented and talk to them. Cause you're exchanging money and stuff. Um, yeah. at a young age and that's kind of cool. Like I think of that for, like I think a lot of kids I hang out with, I go to the skate park a lot and I think of the little dudes and I always tell them, I'm like, yeah, communication is key. Like if you know how to speak to each other, we can get our points across and doing, doing that, starting a little hustle with the lawnmower mowing is a good, good thing. That's something I'm going to tell some of them to like start doing like mow. Cause out here too, you know, we got, we just had like three feet of snow and I know some of my friends will shovel driveways, you know? Yeah, I, I did. I shoveled driveways in, as, in the wintertime, you know, no, no grass was growing. Yeah. <laughs> but there's, there's, we didn't have, you know, Kansas didn't get as much snow as say some parts of the, the other parts of the country, but we definitely had some snow to shovel. So, and I would house it, you know, there was multiple hustles that I could, could get involved with as, as you earn the respect of, a certain amount of your parents' friends or, like in my case, these lawn clients, they would, you know, if they're going out of town, they need somebody to feed the cat and skim the pool or uh, um, bring in the mail and the newspaper, you know. So, like, I I had multiple uh, gigs like that that, again, just all, it all kind of was, easy for me to do you know you had to be organized and you had to to be able to keep a schedule and and then you you know that it just kind of builds itself as you're you're building greater respect with these people in your in your world and they continue to kind of give you more responsibility as you show that you can handle it yeah absolutely so what so we're saving money we're working we had you know what what's the objective? What were you trying to do? Were you just because um, you were living at home? I mean, you're <laughs> yeah. going to college, like. Well, I I knew you were skateboarding. That's for sure. <laughs> I was skating a lot. Yeah, I was never that good, but I I, I put a lot of money into a backyard mini ramp complex at my house. Um, that took me about a year to get my mom to um, okay that we could use the. We had a huge backyard that was fenced that, you know, I I had to mow, and uh, we ended up, you know, after at least a year of trying to convince her that it would be a good idea to to build this ramp, um, she finally greenlit it, and we we built a, a 16 foot wide by six foot tall uh, mini ramp that was 
not quite to vert, you know, it's a six foot transition, uh, seven foot transition, six feet high. So yeah. you know, it was fairly steep, but, um, um, that ramp sounds sick, man. Uh, you must've been the dude in town though, if you had a ramp like that. Well, there was, you know, there were other ramps on different parts of town and that's how kind of people got to know each other was to, by going around and skating all the different ramps. And, uh, over the next year, we added, you know, if somebody needed to move a, a, a small, like, eight-foot-wide ramp out of somebody's backyard, we acquired that and, and made it, we, we made it into a spine off the six-foot ramp next to it. Um, so we had a four-foot spine, and then six months later, we built, we, uh, found more wood and, and built a 90-degree hip, because I had a friend that spent like one year in Kansas and one year out in uh, Encinitas. And that's the time when Mike McGill's skate park was going off. And so we were fascinated by the, the spine and 90 degree hip mini ramps that were, that he'd built out there at his, at his skateboarding park in Carlsbad. Hell yeah. That's, and so you're building we, a skate park. You started, so you started with the mini and now it's turning into something a little more. That's pretty sick. Yeah. So, I mean, it was, it was a mini ramp complex. We had, <laughs> multiple you know at that time then it was like three ramps put together and um you know you could string a lot of tricks together (laughs) with all the different spine and hip combinations that's so sick that you were able to convince your mom into that because uh were you guys worried about liability or loss she that was one of her big concerns and and just kind of the fear of the unknown is like um you know, how, how permanent is this going to be? Or what, you know, is it going to be an eyesore? That, you know, those kind of concerns. But I, once she, once we, she saw what it was and just the fact that it was kind of like this anchor point for kids to come over and be in a safe space where ultimately all she has to do is look out the back window to see who's there or, you know, it's not like she's worrying about us going street skating in downtown where we can be getting hit by cars or, yeah. you know. So it, in the end, as I think a lot of parents that have tried giving their kid a skateboard ramp is if you set some ground rules and, again, you know, give your kid a chance to show some responsibility and and see where it goes with it. But ultimately, you have a better eye on where your kid is. Yeah, I totally agree, man. Did you guys ever have any accidents, or was it all pretty chill? Was there any, like, Johnny broke his arm, you had to rush him out real quick? <laughs> don't tell mom. <laughs> I, I I really don't remember Damn. any any major injuries, but, uh, That's you know, what... I'm, I'm sure things happened, because this was, you know, the the ramps were layered in plywood back then, you know, and, and particle board. So there were, there were certainly some people that left with some big splinters in their knee or in their hands, but, um, those were a different time, you know, PVC coping on part of it. And, oh, uh, yeah. we had a, we had a mini ramp in my friend's basement. My homie, Dale Raymond, he actually came on the podcast as well. Um, he was the first one who got me into skating and his mom let us build a little, um, quarter pipe in her basement and uh it had pvc piping which would always break and we'd have to fix it um and and we uh we dinged up her washer and dryer set because we're in the basement and our boards are flying all over the place and like 
she definitely smashed up her lawn or uh, her washing machine a bit and uh that's cool that's so sick that you had the complex though um let's move forward i like to jump around a little bit so you went off to college what what'd you go for well that that was what did i go for i'm i went essentially <laughs> because it was dictated from on high that i would go to college out right out of high school and I was bewildered as to what the hell to do for a career. I was psyched that, you know, I, I was enjoying my skateboarding. I was enjoying working at a skate shop, but I didn't really have a clear idea of what I wanted to study in college. It seemed like such a big, ominous, like, <laughs> decision looming over me that I had to make and that it was a lot of pressure and I, I didn't know what to study, but I ended up going to school in Colorado at Colorado State. And a big decision or, you know, a big part of that decision was, okay, it's a, it's only a day's drive from my house. My uncle lives an hour away in Denver and they have an indoor skate park. Damn, that's a good setup. <laughs> you know, and it's not too far from snowboarding. I was interested in snowboarding at the time, too. So, like... um and, you know, I, w I had the grades to get in to see you, but uh, I'd, I'd never been a big partier. I'd never been a partier at all. And, and I had I'd heard so much about CU and Boulder being this party school that I'd I'd shied away from wanting to go to that. And, you know, little did I know that basically every college is a fucking party school. <laughs> you know, there's, there's no getting around that. Um, so, um yeah, so I'm in Fort Collins, and that's, that's, I'm I'm bumbling around. I'm changing minor or majors. I'm going from watershed management to um, business, and then yeah. So I ended up getting out of there in just a little over four years with a um, a degree in consumer sciences and a minor in Spanish. So wow, um, that's cool. Um, Sorry to cut you off, but um, I've been to Fort Collins. It's really nice there, and they have a skate park there as well. A concrete. They, ha they have five skate parks there. Holy shit! Good for them. <laughs> five. <laughs> when were you there? Uh, it's been a while. I was riding for Birdhouse, so I was living in Long Beach. Oh man, it had to have been like ten years ago or something. But it was yeah. awesome. I really liked Colorado, and Fort Collins was the first place I went to. Um, so. Wait, so you have consumer science? Is that what you said? A major in consumer science? Consumer sciences. And it, what? the way most people don't know what that is, and the easiest way for me to describe it is that it's, it's kind of the reverse of a business degree. It's more related to consumer protection. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's wor not worried about profiting over people. It is worried about how can consumers be protected from big corporations, you know? Ah, I like that. That's that's a good thing. That's, did you enjoy that? I did enjoy it. And I can't say I took a whole lot out of it. I kind of reached a point where, in you know, in college where you have to make a decision and stick with something before or you're going to be in college forever, you know? Yeah. So... I uh 
I finally just kind of had to settle down on something and, and, and get through it and just call it a day, you know, and, and be like, okay, I've got my piece of paper here that says I'm a college graduate. Um, not sure what I'm going to do with that, uh, but you got it, y- you know, they, yeah, I got it. And they say a big part of, uh, college is just kind of learning how to learn. So, um, depends on how you look at it. I don't put a lot of, uh, emphasis on my degree as, you know, as far as have I used that degree and the things I've done since, but, um, it was a good experience and, um, you know, I, I still, I've kind of just fallen into my <laughs> career in the skateboard industry, if you can call it that. That's all. Well, let's get into that, man. Let's start off like, what was the first thing that you did in skateboarding? I mean, past skate shops and stuff. As far okay, as well, while while I was in school in Fort Collins, I opened a skate shop out there called Move, Sick. and was undercapitalized. Was going to college at the time, you know, taking a full coursework and running a skate shop as a junior in college, and yeah. I got. Um, basically closed that by the time I was out, you know, being overwhelmed, uh, with just trying to do both and being undercapitalized. And, um, so I closed before I graduated. And, uh, but one of the things that was good about that shop was that I had a foundation demo, um, and got to know Mark Waters, who was over, you know, working at Tomietto. Yes, Mark Waters is awesome. Yes, and uh, so upon graduation, we, a couple of friends and I, had it narrowed down to either move to Seattle or San Diego to kind of start our life outside of college. And I was, I liked both towns. I'd been to both towns. You know, I'd been out, when I had the shop in Fort Collins, I'd been out to ASR trade shows and... um I like both towns, but kind of having not really a clear direction as to what sort of job I was going to look for. I'm like, well, let's. I'll, I vote for San Diego because I know <laughs> there's, I know there's some skateboard industry there. There really wasn't any in Seattle at the time, and um, that that hold on, sorry, that and San Diego is fucking beautiful, and and the weather is like seventy year year round. And what's Seattle's supposedly pretty rainy, huh? Pretty rainy, yeah. So <laughs> you limit your outdoor skate time by going to Seattle. But so yeah, we ended up in San Diego and I uh mainly focused on just skating a lot when I got here. Met some some guys that were you know, kinda at my same ability level, which isn't that good, but you know, de- decent skateboarders just having fun, seeing the spots and skating the parks and um but I, uh, I touched base with Mark Waters, just curious if, you know, they had any positions opened up and, um, and he was, he was the international sales manager at the time and was transitioning. Mike Ballard was the team manager and had just made Rolling Thunder. Yeah. And, um, and Mike Ballard was leaving the company and Mark was becoming the team manager and he needed to fill the international sales manager job. So I interviewed for that, met Todd, and um, ended up getting that job. 
And so I'd only been out here a couple of months. I think I started by October. I came out here in July of 95. Mm. And um, so all of a sudden, I'm the international sales manager, fresh out of college, um, for a major skateboard manufacturer. That is so cool. That's like... um. Because I know a lot of people go to California to try to get sponsored, but it's kind of cool to go out there and then get a job within the industry from a different angle like that. Um, that's cool. That's, yeah, so, that's really awesome. so you know, I, I haven't talked to Mark as far as, like, how, why, why did you hire me, you know, or <laughs> how many other qualified candidates were there for the job? You know, and and but you know he he knew me from having booked a, a foundation tour there where I treated the guys with respect. They got paid. You know, everything was cool. And I, you know, I'd also been a, a one of their. Um, you know, we sold Tomietto stuff when I had the store in Colorado, and oh yeah, and then, you know, so we, so then I apply, I get the job, and it and it. This is a time where Tomietto is. Uh, Foundation, Poot Clothing. Um, I don't think Pig. I think Pig Wheels started while I was there, but Toy Machine was a big part. Okay. You know, Jamie, Jamie Thomas is still skating for Toy Machine. Hell yeah. um, Foundation is Heath Kirchart, Josh Beagle, Steve Barra, Frank Harada, Steve Olson, and uh, legends, all legends. Yeah, so it's. You know, foundation. I I kind of look at it as that was one. Certainly, one of their heydays. Rolling Thunder was you know an amazing video. Heath's coming into his own, and um, and Welcome to Hell comes out the first year I'm there. Damn, that's sick. You know, so I'm I'm there. I'm meeting Ed. I'm meeting Jamie's very hands on and is in the office a lot. Um, you know, I'm there for that crazy premiere where they have to pull, you know, Jamie's editing last minute, gets to the venue late. They had to pull Muska's footage from it. Oh, man. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so I end up there. I grow the department by quite a bit. And um, I, I end up staying for three years. And, um, and then I, I kind of, what's that? Sorry to cut you off, but I got two questions. Um, one, um, did you know what you're getting into international sales or did, when you get there, do they just break it down? Like, or did you kind of have an idea or like, <laughs> <Good point. laughs> no, I didn't, you know, on the surface, you think that an international sales manager would travel a lot. Yeah. And that, that's not the case uh, <laughs> in this position because, uh, you know, if I were selling pharmaceuticals or, um computer parts there'd be a lot a big budget for travel and this and that you know and, and because the profit margins are so much greater yeah. but it, in the skateboard industry or at least the way swank looked at it was um the international sales manager was basically just the international order taker and <laughs> perfect you know this is most most distributors are ordering via fax email ha isn't quite coming in there's a few accounts starting to utilize email but so i have to manage our inventory on a three-page fax that i can that i send out once once a week you know very early in the morning 
so that these distributors can get see what we have, place their orders. They have to prepay. You know, I have to prepare their order in the invoicing program. <coughs> make you know, make sure that their wire transfer has hit our bank. Release the goods to the freight forwarding company that then comes and picks up the pallet worth of skateboards and clothes or whatever they've ordered that week or that month and, um, you know, keep them abreast of what's coming out and um, if there's going to be any riders in their area, if we're going to set up a tour for Scandinavia or whatever it might have been. And So did you just kind of, like, as you get into the position, you just figure it out as, as you were going? You're just like, or was all this already kind of thrown on to you? Well... Um, again, you know, I'm basically just a glorified order taker. And, um, so you have to learn the, the computer program that, that manages the inventory, which is pretty, pretty basic for somebody that has a computer background. Um, and again, it's just dealing with, you know, from time to time I'd call people on the phone and just check in and network and see see how they're feeling, what can we do to help sell, you know, make our products more visible in Germany. Do, <clears throat> does the distributor we're dealing with have their own magazine? <clears throat> and if they do, they would. I would need to supply them with uh, zip disks full of, uh, you know, a pig ad, a zero ad, a, a, a toy machine ad, so that they could, they would, um, for free, place our ad since they have, Damn, your your job would have been so much easier with email for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and so it was. There was a lot more running around and you know having to get zip disks from the art department and um, FedExing stuff like that, or you know making sure it got tucked in with the order if it was going to go in the boxes. And but uh, well, yeah, I, I I got a lot of good skills. I met a lot of fascinating. Uh, distributors you know that i some of which i still stay in touch with today or i just i see them at at trade shows or industry events and what the second question i was going to ask you was who came to the foundation demo who were the riders yeah uh steve olson josh heath barra damn they all came out lee peterson you remember him who's that lee peterson Lee Peterson. I don't know if I do. I'm going to Google him tonight. He was one of the AMs at the time. Who killed the demo? Who was on, who was shredded? I remember seeing pictures, you know, there, I don't, I don't remember seeing any video, but I remember pictures of Steve Olson inward hard flipping over the little bump to bump thing. Yes. And, um, yeah, it's been so long. I, I don't remember (laughs) too much about it as far as, you know, it's funny how, you know, uh, having photos from an event really helps stimulate your your mind for uh, generating memories from it. But uh, Yeah, it was a while ago for sure. I have stuff like that all the time. It's like someone will bring something up that I've completely like, damn, you feel like you're running out of space. Your hard drive fills up, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It was over 20 years ago. I wanted to ask you a little bit about... Um, I. No drugs and booze, like, um, and then working at Tomietto. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't see, like, were you still, 
Are you still no booze, no drinking, anything like that? Yeah, yeah, I I have. Uh, that's the way I just came out from high school some, somehow. Yeah. You know, I had a, a few experiences that <clears throat> shaped me uh, to not see much value in using drugs or alcohol, and then uh, I then I kind of found straight edge music that kind of bolstered that opinion. And kind of showed me that I'm not alone and that there are a handful of people out there that, that don't, you know, that, that stimulate themselves through creativity or, or other means, you know, or just being active and engaging and expanding their personalities or whatever it is. And yes. so, yeah, so I, I was, I, I never got into that sort of stuff and, and that kind of made me a nerd. In, in in the skateboard industry, you know. Yeah, I could see that. Not I, to say I, you are, I, but. I'd go. I'd go to bed early if I had to go on a trip. You know, like I, I, I never. You know, if it's a video premiere, I can stay up for a video premiere. I like that. Yeah. But if it's the after party for the video premiere, like whatever. You're like, I want to. I want to. I want to go to bed. You're going to chill. <laughs> yeah, and um, and so. You know, one of the big things I liked at the time of working for Tomietto was, you know, and, and I was, uh, when I first started, when I first came to California, I was a vegetarian and I was jazzed to be working with Ed Templeton and Jamie Thomas, who were both vegan at the time. Oh, that's. You know, Ed, Ed still is today, and he's been a very, uh, you know, he's the most outspoken and, and committed you know, vegan activist in, in all of skateboarding, you know, over the years we've been able to point to a handful of different people that have taken a stance on, on what they, you know, what they eat in their diet. But, um, I've had some of his shoes, right? He had, um, he had sheep shoes and then the heretic. Yeah. He's got, you know, he still has a colorway and a slip on and stuff for America, but, one of my first, sorry to cut you off, but one of my first pairs of <laughs> shoes ever was, uh, green sheep. And I just remember I was so yeah. hyped on them. They were suede. They skated really good, too. And I've always been a fan of Ed Templeton, too. I was talking about him the other day, cause we were messing around with Impossibles on flat ground. And yeah. I was telling these, these kids, I was like, Ed Templeton has the best one. You have to watch these. And, uh, I just remember he rapped them so goddamn good. It's insane. Yeah, so, Getting back to the the drugs and alcohol thing, so I yeah I was kind of a nerd, but like I had, uh, like I was psyched to be able to communicate with Jamie and Ed about, you know, about ethics and yeah. why why they do this and 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 so you know by the time a couple of years later I I had kind of upped my commitment to being vegan and and was was hyped on it and sick and fairly fairly vocal about it and and you know it kind of just I you know I, I on some levels being anti-alcohol anti-cigarettes anti-meat you know I I alienate myself to a lot of people but again it's like it what's work it, what's it's what works for me and um and they're important decisions in my life and um 
It's so fun. I, I stand strong by them. That's but. awesome. I'm sorry to cut you off, but that I completely agree. I think um, I think you know that's just an immaturity thing that comes like everyone it goes through that to the point where um, you know, cool's cool, you know, in life. And like some kids are like because they drink, they're cool. They're in part of a thing, doing like a, a group of people that drink or whatever and all that shit. But really, it's just like being able to communicate and talk to anyone should be like a basic skill sober drunk whatever you know what i mean like being able to relate and understand each other i think it's even more prominent today like i'm big about that communication is so important because the more we can communicate with anyone like all walks of life whether they're sober drunk high whatever the better you can move around surroundings the more we can have empathy and understanding for each other like the more we can just relate you know which we need to do desperately now but i agree going into skateboarding and that heights, I imagine, it's kind of cool to know that Jamie Thomas and Ed Templeton, like, I, I kind of knew about that, that they had, um, you know, were vegans and did that stuff, and that, but I never really thought about it that much. But that's cool to put, make a stance and do it. But uh, that's cool that you were able to move amongst there. What was it like with, because uh, I, I, it's funny, when I went to um, Tomietto, I went a long time ago, I went with Leo, and I don't even, mm-hmm. I don't even know why we went there. But, uh, it was, I remember going in there and seeing him making the boards, and Leo got to pick out the transfer in the deck, mm-hmm. and like yeah. he made his own graphic. He like cut the transfers up, <laughs> and at this time I think he didn't. He was like not in the. He didn't get along with Corey Duffel or whatever, and he made like a funny like you know fuck you Corey Duffel board or something. Oh. Cut it up, <laughs> but uh, that's cool, man. I, I'm hyped that you worked there and did all that. But I, but I agree. I think. Uh, there is that stereotype of someone who's sober, you know? I think being able to relate to people is, like, really fucking important, you know? I asked someone else the other day. I was like, you've never done drugs or alcohol or anything? And they said no, and I was like, that's pretty amazing. But at the same time, it's like, you know, it's the, it works both ways. You know what I mean? If you've never been wasted, then it's like, uh, you don't know how those people are thinking or feeling, you know? I feel like there's got to be a moderation in everything. Have you, yeah. ever tri- have you ever tried anything at all? Just out of curiosity. Well, you know, I used to sip off my dad's beer as a child, you know, so like I know what beer tastes like from an, a very early age, but I, you know, and then I had a, a unsettling or kind of awkward moment as an eighth grader where I went out with my, my, uh, my next door neighbor who was a year older than me with his buddies as a, as like, as an eighth grader. Yeah. They were just drink, drinking beers in a, in a culvert out on a, in a road construction area on their Friday night. And I had a beer then and I had this realization like these guys are all sitting around chugging these beers. Yeah. And my only experience was as a, as a little kid kind of, Oh, can I have a little sip of your beer, dad? <laughs> and just, just tasting it, you know, and just being real ginger, you know, just a little, little taste and, like, ah, oh, it tastes kind of weird. And, and then to see these guys just like throwing them back and with this goal of how many can I drink? Yeah. And I was, I was, I was sitting in the circle with them and just like, just kind of sipping off one. And, and it just, and it just, there was this disconnect of like, why I don't sit around my house and try to drink as many root beers as I can in, in an, in an hour or whatever. It's just, both both are drugs, alcohol, sugar, caffeine. It's all drugs. If you abuse anything, you're fucked. Too yeah. much sugars will give you diabetes, coffee, like um, alcohol. The one thing about alcohol that's gnarly is that 
you can really it can really fuck you but it could fuck those around you if you get wasted out in public or you know accidents happen like things bad things like that i'm not really a heavy drinker i was at one point i drank a lot but i was young and like doing a lot of stuff but i never like it never really got too out of control for me but i had seen family members that were drunks you know what i mean and uh Mm -hmm. The abuse and stuff and just like how they carry themselves scare is scary for sure um i'm always i always like talking about that stuff like growing up for me my mom and my family like my mom and like her siblings and stuff we grew up in a uh tough situation there was a lot of drug abuse and uh substance abuse and alcoholism and stuff like that that is uh not fun <laughs> i was always kind of scared off from uh drugs and alcohol too for a while because i grew up and i smoked weed as a little kid um but i didn't really abuse it you know and then i drank a little bit but i didn't really abuse it and then the whole time i was like skating and getting sponsored and stuff and i didn't really abuse any of it i stayed away i would have drinks here and there um now i smoke a lot of weed that's about it <laughs> you know i was i was talking the other day with a friend about how how much the media has changed in the last 30 years in the, the skateboard media specifically because as a kid growing up in Kansas, not having access to any of these pros, but so just living through whatever I was able to absorb from magazines about, you know, trying to assimilate some of these pros personalities, whatever you can get through magazines and interviews and quotes and captions. But, you know, in the late eighties, there, I know there was now I know there was partying going on amongst those guys, but it didn't get showcased in the magazines. Yeah. Unlike today with video content and everybody's smoking weed and lighting up a blunt before their part starts. And yeah, you know, and and I just was, you know, and so I, I, I think maybe some of that lack of seeing of associating substance abuse or um, alcohol consumption or however you want to put it with skateboarding maybe helped steer me away from it. Cause you know, like I just want to skate, you know, and that's my main, that's my main concern. I don't want to get, I don't want to become somebody, some different personality if I drink a certain amount, you know, and yeah, absolutely. I was pretty comfortable with who I was and, and, just wanted to focus on skateboarding and and I also I also saw consumption of those things as as an unnecessary drain on your finances you know like so many so many people would spend so much money on weed or so much money on liquor you know and going to bars and all these things just never computed to me I I'd much rather save my money and go on a road trip, you know, or see how far I can stretch my money to go as far as I can on a road trip. I don't want to just drink it up, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm exactly the same way. <coughs> Kevin, that's so crazy because where I came from, like, I had to be very frugal as well. That's kind of what you're just, like, yeah. that's what I had to do. So I, I the same thing. We'd be on a skate trip, and I didn't want to go to the bar. I didn't want to because I was, like, thinking about my... Savior per diem. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Not to say I didn't do that. I did at times. Like, I remember being in Europe, and I would I had a few times where I spent my money and was foolish, you know. But for the majority of it, I didn't even smoke weed because I didn't want to spend my money on it. That's like security for, for the way I grew up, you know. It was like, um, 
that was what was going to pay the bills, you know. In, I, I am still like that. Even with sponsors paying me and stuff, I'm, I was always like, I'm putting this aside, putting this aside, like whatever I could. Um, and to have a vice was like counterproductive to that. Um, so that's what it, what it, that's what it was for me. Um, yeah. So I mean, I hate I hate to hear kids complain these days about. You know, where either they talk about how they've never really been outside of their community to skate or, you know, and so many things are possible if you can manage your money well. Yeah. You know, gotta, even gotta, little amounts of money, you know. Yeah. You got to just really, really want what you say you want. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it is. Like, for me, I really wanted to be a pro skateboarder. So I did whatever it took to, like, travel and meet people, go to contests um spend my money on skateboarding you know like you if you want to get involved and be part of something you have to invest in it not just mm-hmm. you know financially but also emotionally um yeah i'm the same way man it was like that i made a choice like this is what i'm gonna do and then that takes money and you gotta be really careful if you if you're just going to party and stuff then that's a different motive for sure you know um yeah. healthy balance i'm big about healthy balance I <laughs> yes you are <laughs> moderation moderation because now i'm 32 and it's like I, I like did a lot of cool stuff that I'm proud of and it's like smoking weed actually helps with my arthritis and it loosens me up and I can laugh and have fun and it's just like I mean I can do that without weed but it just makes things a little better you know like <laughs> just when I'm stoned it's like it heightens my qualities a little more because I'm high you know and uh but I don't abuse it I don't like that's you were talking about communication and I know people listen to the podcast so it's beautiful the communication today and the way we can advertise because we can just say what we really feel. It's not like yeah. you have to rely on a picture or a video. You literally can just convey what you're trying to say. Like here it is from the horse's mouth. But um, yeah. So now I smoke a little weed. But I, I, if it started messing with my money, I would get rid of weed right away. <laughs> that would be the first right. thing that would go. <laughs> yeah, and everybody's got their priorities, you know, and yeah, and, and that's all good. But I wanted to talk about overboard, and I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I wanted to get into more of what you've done with skating and business-wise. Okay, well, so I worked for Tomyeto for three years, and I, I, I feel like I kind of reached the glass ceiling there, where I, I built up the department, you know, in smaller skateboard companies, there's not a lot of room for growth unless you're a company owner. So, um, I, uh, I resigned after three years and, um, and I, I, I I knew this is at a time in the, in the mid or late nineties when skate parks are starting to pop up. And, and one of the things that Todd was real big on at Tomietto was, me being in the office, like they, Tomietto was instrumental in having some of the first paid vacation offered to their employees, but See. it was, it was still, you know, three days for the first year that you worked there, a week for two years that you've been there, you know, and it kind of capped out at, at 10 days or two weeks or whatever it was. And this, this is at a time where skate parks are finally starting to pop up in, in, um, you know, public skate parks and, and I wanted to get out and see these parks and skate these parks. And, and I made a lot of connections uh, around the country for, for, through different shop owners and was curious about different skate scenes. And so when I left Tomietto, I, I worked on one issue of the Transworld, uh, buyer's guide. Mickey Vukovic hired me to, uh, as a contract person at Transworld to, to help do the organizing and bring the products in for for one of their buyers guide and while I was doing that I was planning a trip that 
would turn into what I called the Four Corners Tour. And I made a video uh, of this trip where I went from San Diego up to Slam City Jam in Vancouver, so up the West Coast, across the northern part of the country, through uh, Montreal and down into Maine and then in Boston. And from Boston, I flew that summer to Europe. Yeah. Did the kind of the con followed the, the summer contest series around, filmed a lot of those contests, came back to Boston, drove down to Florida, and then came a back back towards San Diego through the southern part of the country. So I, I hit all four corners of the country, and um, that is so I, sick. First I worked I worked with a handful of different uh, skaters on certain legs of that to make little parts. And then we would just film with whoever we came into contact with through the shop or through the skate park or whoever, wherever, you know, we had a point of contact in whatever city. And I was meeting the uh, shop owners I knew, new shop owners. And so after five months of traveling in the summer of uh, 99, I put together this video and had to sell it. We had, I had your video, man. It was so sick. Yeah, it was a fun road trip video. And at the time, you know, there weren't a lot of those out there. You had like the Europe um, contest video that would come out from 411. But, you know, there weren't a lot of like self-financed road trip videos. Yeah, and they weren't a big part, like they weren't a company video of some sort. So yeah, like independent. Um, the reason why I actually didn't have the copy, but the skate shop had the copy. The skate shop slash skate park that I hung out at had it, and we would watch these videos because we're in you know Massachusetts. It's winter, whatnot, and uh, they had that one, and I, I, we had to watch it so many times. You know, like we didn't have to, but obviously we wanted to, and there was we only had a handful of DVDs. It was sick. But I remember all the ones that were there because that was like what got us so hyped. You'd watch these videos and then go fucking try to do the tricks, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I thought that, you know, I helped steer the soundtrack. I thought it had a good soundtrack and it was just a fun, there was some lifestyle stuff in there and I thought it was a a fun video that showcased the 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 fun and the camaraderie that can happen from traveling with your friends around the, around the country or, or around your region or whatever it is, you know, however far you can travel, but just to, to, to put a spotlight on the importance of that in skateboarding. Yeah. So, so, you know, I, I, that was the beginning of overboard was having to sell this video. It was time. And, and, <laughs> That next year, I put a, put together another trip with some friends to go back up to Slam City Jam, but we were only going to do the West Coast, and we called that the Whirlwind Tour, and we ended up hitting 105 or 108 skate parks in Holy 30 shit. days going up the going up the coast. Holy shit! <laughs> and we made with Dave Bergthold from Blockheads help. We we turned that into like a four minute fuel TV spot, and. Um, and I met my partner, um, this guy Brian Munn, who had been doing a little hardware company called Killing Machine. Yes. And uh, we we partnered up to try to take Killing Machine hardware nationally. And, and that was another thing that 
overboard sold in addition to the four corners tour video and then i started you know i through my travels i'd met some other independent video producers like josh stewart and um you know these guys didn't it was hard to sell videos back then you know um and so i worked i sold 411s i sold you know i was one of the first fibro distributors when you were riding for Fibro and uh we did Chapman and we did consolidated over the years, cliche. Um, you know, from so from starting out of selling this video, we started to carry more hard goods brands of lesser known, smaller hard goods companies that maybe weren't well represented. Maybe they were East Coast or international companies that didn't have good representation on the West Coast and I was I was excited about their brands and so I wanted to see, you know, how many I could sell. There was not necessarily a lot of demand for those brands at the time and but we did what we could. We we had um I guess at our height we had maybe 10 different board brands and five different wheel companies. We we sold a fair amount of trucks and bearings and tools and you know, so we were this this small hard goods distributor that had a really good niche of videos. So, so, all right, I'm sorry, I got to stop you because I got questions. (laughs) So you're doing this and you're just through people you meet and you just have the connections. So you're able to, to communicate with these shops and you're, you're basically calling up and selling these guys products. And, uh, how did it, did the, the brand just like people start hearing about it? You had 10, 10 board brands, you said? That we distributed. I didn't have, they weren't our own brands. They were no, five I mean like, yeah. um, I just mean like that you distributed. So, um, just through meeting people, like you just build up these relationships with these skate, sh- uh, skate, skate brands and then you would just yeah, distribute yeah. them to shops. Right. I, either I'd meet Steve Rodriguez at, an ASR or I'd cold call him, you know? Yeah. And I can't remember the way it went with Steve, but you know, he, 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 you know, he's a great guy. And, um, you know, that's, that was one of the relationships that I value the most out of the the 10 years or whatever that I worked with him, you know? And, um, there's, you know, a lot of different examples along those lines where, one way or the other, either he count, somebody, a smaller brand would contact me and say, Hey, you know, we're, we're doing this and this guy rides for us and we need some, we need to broaden our distribution and can you, can you help us out? You know, will you, will you sell our products? And so I'd try a brand and if, if, you know, if it was like pulling teeth trying to sell the, the 30 boards that I buy from a, a company, then, you know, I either I'd not continue it or I would continue it if it did okay, you know. And I always kind of needed a certain anchor rider, you know, like Aaron Susky was riding for Fibro at the Fuck time. Yeah. And I was like, he just made a big splash at Tampa Pro and was like, wow, you know, like this... I, I, you know, I was really a big Susky fan and I was like, okay, this is something I can hook into and there, there's potential here, you know, and this brand's growing and, um, you know, so I kind of, 
if they didn't have any nationally known riders, it was hard. It was a harder sell to to bring a brand in. Yeah. And um, but uh, that's tight. That that's so cool that you uh you kind of help in a way grow Fibro too. You know, like just yeah. distributing it and pushing to the shops and stuff like that. I'm a big fan of Fibro, man. They were my first sponsor, like legit sponsor. And Susky's the fucking man. I had him on the podcast too. Did you? Yeah, he's like my he's like my older brother pretty much, you know. But <laughs> Susky's the man. Me, Susky, and Westgate are like I feel like that's family right there. Like on yeah. trips, it was like us three. You know what I mean? Uh, that's good. That's so cool, man. Um, and then you know we another Susky connection was we we sold Satori wheels, you know. And yeah, sick. So like it was it was sick to be able to offer Aaron's board and wheel to customers, you know. So yeah. cool. Nobody skates like Susky. There's no one. Uh, that's what I love about Susky. He's original, like 100%. Like you know Susky when you see a trick or you see something, you know it's him. Like he just. There's no one that skates like him. That's what I like about that man. I can't praise him enough. <laughs> yeah. So, so we. I'm selling videos, right and left, four on one. You know, everybody's anticipating the release of whatever new four one one issues coming out. And then there's one Christmas in, I don't know what year it would have been, so maybe 2003, 2004, where every family got a DVD player. And I ended up taking a pretty serious bath in <laughs> when, when basically nobody was buying VHS and everybody was starting to buy DVD. Damn. You know, and there was, you know, the year or two before that, I would have to bring in the DC video in both VHS format and DVD format. But then it was like one, once that whatever year that was that everybody tended to get a DVD player for Christmas, it was like VHS sales just came to a screeching halt. Yeah. And you couldn't give the things away. Fuck. <laughs> you know, so that was a tough year of uh, reduced sales and just, you know, basically just had to promo out all these VHS tapes and, and hope that you're making it up in greater volume of your DVD sales. But, uh, um, so I weathered that stayed in business. And, um, at the, I also opened up a, a retail location here in San Diego called overload. And I remember overload. I, I mean, I was on the East coast, but did you run ads? Where would I have seen it? I don't know. I mean, you know, so, uh, Satori did demos for us and, um I, yeah i don't i don't know how you would have seen it but um myspace maybe <laughs> <laughs> it's early man damn it's yeah. crazy to think like now we're like we're skyping right now and we're going we're talking about in the beginning <laughs> yeah. so you were talking about dvds and vhs <laughs> I, I remember it though damn we're getting old man <laughs> Yeah, a lot has changed, you know, and um, that technology is speeding up. It's not that we're old; it's just it's 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 happening faster and faster now. Yeah, yeah, those transitions are happening faster and faster. <laughs> and and so I got to the point where I, you know, I'd, I'd sold a lot of stuff, and I was starting to be kind of conflicted about selling. Oh. Sorry, one second, all right. Elwood, stop being a bastard. That's my dog. He likes to bark. Mm-hmm. Let me check. Stay on stay on the line. Okay. Alright, El, I'm gonna make sure Elwood's showing. Elwood, get down, fool. Go down. Sorry about that. But Elwood's gonna be on the podcast for a little bit. 
Because my girl just got home, so Elle was just going to be, like, welling out for a second. That's but, cool. um, so I'm kind of, that's so sick that you did the distribution. I think that's really cool, man. Um, especially, like, uh, small brands. You know what was giving, it was getting me stoked when you said, like, for a distribution to work, you, to work with a brand that would really help is if you had someone that, like, was known nationally. And, uh, I don't know if you saw the skate park at Tampa this year. Did you see that? The, the pro or is the, the pro, AM? pro. Yeah, I saw some of it. Uh, yeah, um, highlight reels, anyhow. Yeah, my my one of my team riders because I have my own brand. All I need skate. Yeah, one of my team riders from Florida, Timmy Knuth. I was. Oh yeah. I was so hyped because he was in Best Trick and he did a kickflip gra- uh, kick kickflip gap crook and he got second place in that thing and that was like so cool to me because Timmy's like you know Timmy from World Days right exactly me and and Timmy rode for World and I really liked Timmy because he was like uh, just a pure skate rat like super like when I got on World he was the one dude that just always wanted to skate like and I was like this dude just loves it and I I thought he was awesome so when World decided to pack it up and there wasn't you know whatever they didn't couldn't have a skateboard team anymore I was like Timmy let's go do all I need let's start this and you get to come over and skate for us and uh Timmy actually had a pretty gnarly uh, injury, too, around that time. He uh, rolled his ankle really bad. Or he broke it, and he had to have yeah. surgery on his ankle. So he, lost, he he's no longer pro. It, well, it was like World Industries decided to stop the pro team. Then he he rolled his ankle really bad, and he had surgery. And then I started All I Need, and then I was like, Timmy, come on over. And then Timmy came back like crazy, and uh, he did the kickflip crook down the Hollywood 16, first of all. No. Oh insane and then he did that at this year's tampa pro and i'm really stoked because there's like a lot of eyes on him you know and i'm like timmy deserves like he shreds so hard and he's like one of the best skateboarders i know so uh yeah and that that would be the my kind of my same angle for bringing in a regional video you know all, all these young independent film producers would be contacting me saying hey will you sell our video and i'm like okay well you know who who's in it um you know uh does uh, let me think of a good example like um kevin coakley a boston video sick if kevin coakley's in it i can sell it you know like he he has you know he has shoe wheel board sponsor like people know who he is you know i can just say oh yeah i got this new east coast video that has a kevin coakley part it's a lot easier to sell when i can point to a name that everybody knows yeah that makes sense you know, and so, yeah, so how about I kind of tell the tale of getting, of Overboard's demise. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, I started it in basically 1999. It kind of ebbs and flows, and... It was a good it, ride, though? It was a good it was, ride? It was a good ride, and by the financial crisis of 2008... It seemed like everybody's discretionary income dried up, so people were still skating, but they sure as hell weren't buying DVDs anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. That, you don't need a DVD. You need your sho- You need some new shoes. You need a new board. Yeah. But DVDs just really dried up around that point, and um, I felt that you know my volumes dropped way down, and. And this is also at a time where producers are trying, Osiris, feed the need. A hundred thousand videos made for free. Oh man, wow. You know, like, like, there, there's, producers are trying, trying to, 
they're seeing videos as less of a um, as a profit center and more as a promotional tool. You know, they've always been promotional tools, but you used to be able to, if you put, invested so much money in making a video for two years, you'd be able to sell a, a lot and you'd see a return. Yeah, you'd see a return, but that's kind of stopped being the case, and so people, you know, ma- manufacturers were starting to toy around with like, okay, if we just make a bunch of them, saturate the market, give them out for free, is that going to help promote our brand? Are we going to sell more shoes that way? And and then if they weren't if they weren't for free, there ended up being a lot of these really lesser lesser expensive videos like uh the <clears throat> real roll forever and um you know things where they didn't spend a lot of money on packaging they were just like cart uh sleeve, the little cart, cart sleeve sleeve and and you sell them for uh, five bucks or whatever and so like not only were volumes dropping but sales prices so i was making less money i was selling less videos and making less money per video and i'm starting to just go like gosh like this this does not look good like <laughs> like fuck, fuck me right <laughs> how do i get out of this you know like every year i'm making less and less money and so you know you just have to this is your sorry to cut you off this is your main source of income at the time well, not not really cuz i i bought a house a long time ago when I before I left Tamietto, even I was able to buy my my house, and um, and I've always lived with roommates, so I would I had some income from from my house. Oh, so you bought you bought the house, and then you brought roommates in to help pay the mortgage, basically, and your yeah. friends. Yeah, damn sick. So the house. You there? Yeah. All right, you put me on hold. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Call came in, but. Um, we're good now. Yeah, um, we take it off from. Uh, you had roommates and you bought a house in San Diego, which seems really unaffordable. Well, it it, it is now, that's for sure. So, but back in the um, mid or late nineties, things were still afford. I don't know if things were affordable or whatever. But I had all this. I had a lot of. I had plenty of money to put towards a down payment on a house from mowing lawns as a kid. Wow, sick! That's awesome. And, and so, that's kind of always been my uh, ace safety net, you know. Yeah, that's your ace in your sleeve, dude. <laughs> yeah, and so, you know, so I, I could, and I've always been a frugal person, you know. So I don't, I don't have a lot. I don't have a lot of bills besides just the utilities on the house and and my cell phone bill, and you know. Do you have unlimited data? <laughs> Uh, not anymore, you know. I've uh, trimmed down my cell phone bill a little bit, but we're on Wi-Fi right now. I'm gra- I'm grandfathered in with Verizon. That's oh, you lucky. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. I love listening to podcasts and all this stuff all day long because I'm just like unlimited. And plus, when you're on Wi-Fi, that's good, though. <laughs> I was a slow adapter to get an iPhone. I, I waited and waited and waited, and I missed out on all those good, like, all-data um, packages. So yeah, the perks. It's funny they try to switch it up though, but I'm grandfathered in, man. I got the system figured out. <laughs> Not gonna lose my data. <laughs> I gotta knock on wood. I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> but I'm frugal too, is what I'm saying. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool that that uh that you, that that worked out. 
that's awesome that you have that. That's a, definitely a safety net. That's fucking awesome. So it's, yeah. I guess that ima- that kind of helps you. Well, see, that's what I'm confused about. Like, <laughs> so What are you confused about? Just because you had this company. and <clears throat> So did you own your house outright? I mean, how long did it take to pay it off? Do you own it outright, uh, I guess? Yeah, I do. That's awesome. <laughs> but that, that got paid off in like, whatever... Seven years ago, so Sick. um, so I, I have a place to live. Yes, I that's awesome. I'm still selling a few DVDs, but I'm, you know, as my uh, animal rights and kind of what I, you know, a lot, a, a big part of why I, I don't eat animals is because of the environmental impact on that that. It, that causes on the earth to grow and feed all these animals that people eat. And, and so my, my kind of my big picture outlook on the sustainability of this planet and with all these people on it, I started to question why am I selling bearings from China? Why am I selling unit tools from China that are plastic, you know, they're petroleum based they're getting sh- made in China, shipped over here, sold, you know, like I I just kind of started to so much waste. Not, not wanted to be part of the problem anymore. Yeah. But I have all this inventory of DVDs and 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 but I wa- I wanted to change up my lifestyle. I'd started to see I started to have a few friends that were kind of that had bought Sprinter vans and were living in them. See. And so in 2010, I stream, I, I made an announcement that I was closing overboard. <laughs> wow. And started liquidating everything. I liquidated through all my hard goods stuff, but I still had all these DVDs. And so I realized and I bought a van to start living in and to do some traveling. And, and I realized I could, I could, that I did a little like a 20 day trip inside California to visit accounts and kind of do a test trip in this van to see how how best to sit, set, situate everything in the van that I was going to need to live and and I visited probably 30 shops and I was like man it's a lot easier to sell DVDs when you can do it face to face with the shop owner oh wow sick sick and, and <laughs> And I realized if I don't have all these boards and wheels and stuff and I just have like a thousand DVDs, I can fit those in the van. And so I took, I streamlined overboard to just be a video distributor and took it on the road. And so from 2000, uh, April of 2011, I, I rented out my room in my own house and hit the road and through December of 2012, I was, ran overboard as a mobile distributorship to where when a new video would come out, I would be able to forecast what city I'd be in and have my suppliers drop ship me stuff to a shop or to a certain friend's address or whatever. And I would just pick up supplies on the road, re, you know, have, have orders sent a little bit ahead of me so that I'd pick them up in, in Atlanta or uh, in Boston or wherever I would, knew I'd be in a week or two to account for shipping days. And, and, and I 
I was it was great in in a, in a sense that I got to travel, which I've always enjoyed seeing different skate scenes, and I got to skate a lot of new stuff, new terrain all around the country, and I was able to have a little bit of income from selling videos and. Um, and it was a lot easier to do when you were in a shop. You could see what videos they had, where they might have holes. You know, I could offer uh, trade backs like, oh, you have these uh, six uh, enjoy bag of suck videos that aren't that are sitting like turds. Well, I can take those back and trade mm-hmm. you basically some new stock that hopefully will sell through for you. And then I can go and sell those enjoy videos to somebody else because they're out of print, you know? Genius, genius. Was this all out of necessity, like uh, just <clears throat> wanting to keep it going, or did you just... Yeah, yeah, it was a big part of my identity. I was, yeah, I wanted to, you know, what else am I going to do, you know? And and I, you know, having worked for yourself for so long, it becomes kind of dreadful to think about having to work for somebody else again yeah a nine to five for someone else is nowhere as fun yeah well it's yeah it's really a dreadful thought for me and um and so i i just kind of had was clinging to this pretty ferociously like yes ethically i don't want to be doing this anymore but but i like the routine i've gotten into i like my customers that i deal with I like the fact that I'm involved in promoting skateboarding through showcasing and having this platform to sell all these videos that ultimately as kids, more kids watch videos, they, it spreads. they get jazzed on skateboarding, right? And, yeah, it spreads high. You know, so, I, so I was, I've, I saw value in my position in the whole skateboarding web, you know, and I, I liked being that part of the machine and, but I, I, I knew the end was, you know, like how many more years can I do this, you know, and and, and you know those those whole time two years that I was operating mobily, it, it was still sliding downhill, more and more. Every, all video content is essentially going towards Free. a thrasher part, you know, online magazines, you know, and fewer and fewer major manufacturers are investing in long-term, you know, full-price, full-length videos. It's yeah, just it's, just going, it's just going the way of the Internet. It's just right. shit happens and changes, and that's where our media has... Yeah. Now, if you so, were selling data right now, you'd be doing pretty good. <laughs> right. And so, you know, at first I was bitter. I'm like, shit, like this Internet is putting me out of a job. And overall, but in the end of things, it's like, this internet is allowing for there to be a lot less plastic, you know? It, yeah. It's it's a positive thing for the environment. Uh, you know, I don't know if you want to factor in, you know, all the energy it takes to run all these servers that power the internet, but that's a whole other can of worms. But, yeah. but at least I felt like, okay, kids can still, they still are able to watch all these videos. They just have to find a way to find it online you know if 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 it's something that's trying to be copyrighted or whatever you know as as new video parts as the new plan b video comes out or whatever it is and where do we where do we go from the demise of this what what was your next move where are you at now 
Well, what's the next transition from there? So that last year, I'm back in Fort Collins. Every year, I would, you know, every year since I graduated from Colorado State, I would go back and spend a week or two in Colorado because my uncle lived in Denver, and I still had friends in Fort Collins, and um, and so, and I was tight with the shop owner there, and. This guy named Andy had sold the skate shop to two of his employees who were brothers, and he had set out in creating a nonprofit <clears throat> called Launch that is basically a, a Fort Collins skateboarding promotions tool. It's um, geared towards skaters and developing their creative their creativity and he asked me to be on the board of directors and so for the last three years I've been on the board of directors at launch and I get to do I get to put in as much as I want to and I usually spend a couple of months there in the summertime and all, all all the funnest things of running a shop I get to do through launch because for me this the funnest stuff at the skate shop was not ordering shoes not dealing with shoe politics but it was creating events oh yeah putting on a crux kickflip challenge or doing a video premiere for blueprints waiting for the world or um um yeah anything where you get kids together to ride their skateboards and kind of make it fun by having some sponsors involved so you can give away some some stuff that gets kids hyped, you know. And yeah. and so those are the kind of things that I still get to do at launch where I, I'm not I'm, I don't have to be involved in the in the buying and selling of skateboards, but I can just be involved in the promotions end and um, help help get more kids involved in skateboarding and and further develop kids that are already involved in skateboarding um, to help them maybe see how they could find a job in the industry or, you know, wh- where could all this take them? If they're not good enough to be a sponsored skateboarder, there are a lot of places you can end up in the skateboard industry. And yeah, skateboarding needs a lot of help right now in any way you possibly can. At least the core skateboard industry, that's how I look at it. I'm like, yeah. if skateboarders take responsibility and, they, you know, they when you hit a certain age and you really want skateboarding to keep going, then you just got to, like, dedicate yourself to it and you can be involved, whether that's driving around. Like you were saying, pretty much everything you described was a way to stay involved with skateboarding in the industry and help it grow. Which we need a lot of people doing that nowadays. But since I'm a, I have my uh, small brand, you know, and I also run a contest talking about throwing events. Um, yeah. The New England Am contest, man. We had over 300 kids. It was amazing, and like, it was the biggest turnout. And um, we're doing it again this year too. We're gonna try to make it two days, and uh, just try to step everything up a little bit, make it a bigger and just as memorable year as last year. And uh, but it's so sick to do that stuff because like. Yeah. All these you know? people, like, they shred. There's so many good skateboarders, and everyone gets to come and be involved in this big event and do cool stuff like that. Have, like, a great day, you know, for everyone to remember is sick. Right, and there's so many different ways you can do things because certain kids are into the competition 
and other, you know, so we we've done uh, something we call the Nightmare at Northside. Northside's a skate park in Fort Collins, and we did a Halloween uh, themed contest w- one year. And then, but then I also do like little slappy contests. Not that you know, not really contests. It's just like come to the slappy curb and let's skate and I'll give away a few things, you know, and, you know, so some things are are competition driven. Some things aren't, some things are creative driven where we will do a button making night or, um, have, uh, we do these, those kind of Paul Schmidt themed create a skate workshops for younger kids that they can come in and design their own board, cut it out, design their graphics, you know, and, and so we're just trying to showcase, um, that there's a lot to a lot more to skateboarding than just skateboarding and we're trying to develop civic pride in kids and community activism as well like you know what does it take to get another skateboard park built in in the south part of town you know and and that stuff that stuff is needed very badly right now like uh because people start up skate shops they need like my homie charlie i did a podcast with uh Charlie from the Hive Skate Shop in Connecticut, and he's trying to do that right now. He started a skate shop, and he's trying to get a park built in New London, Connecticut, which will help the skate shop, you know, which will help everything thrive, and everyone can be involved and still have these jams and all these contests and awesome stuff that unites everybody. So that stuff's needed really bad right now. Like, everyone says they want to be a part of skateboarding, like, everyone's got to kick in then, you know, and I know a lot of people do it. That's what I like about the social media is you start to see this cool stuff that's going on, you know, like low card. I just got this low card hat for Warside, a DIY uh, spot. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like raising money and doing cool stuff like that for a DIY spot, which is so cool, man. We got a DIY spot in New Bedford, Mass. That um, Solstice Skate Shop. I've I skated it. Oh, it's fucking awesome. It's, <laughs> it's getting better and better too, man. Well, so yeah, it was. It was. I think a lot's been added to it since I've been there, but. Oh yeah, they've they've gotten more and more, and it's so cool because that's. Like, Jay. Yeah, Jay's the man, dude. Jay's yeah, doing good. I skated with him like the other day at the skate park. He still shreds so hard. Yeah. Constant inspiration from that man. That's right. <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, there's so many rad shop owners that I've met over the years, you know, and and it's it's cool that you know through Instagram and Facebook how you kind of still get, or at least for me, who's who's not sending them a weekly email trying to get them to buy stuff from me anymore but i still get a kind of little look into their world and they can kind of look into my world and see the things that i'm interested in and involved with and you know so that's so nice. now now i kind of i i de- devote a certain amount of my time to steering launch and helping my friend andy d- develop more and more ideas for how launch can grow and then I'm involved in a lot of animal rights issues and um, kind of uh, environmental uh, activism work here in San Diego or really wherever I end up. And um, and you know I'm, I'm I'm a big promoter of people growing their own food. You know if that means a container garden or front yard gardens or just growing some herbs above the sink in the kitchen. Um, you know, me, me and my lady are gonna try to do a garden this summer, or we're we're gonna get the seedlings going, and then we're gonna get them in there. We're gonna good. Try. Yeah, I'm pretty excited to try, man. It's something uh, I keep a I try to keep a plant alive, add water to it. <laughs> so it'd be cool to actually try to dedicate myself to doing something. I, I look at Donnie Barley's Instagram, 
And mm-hmm. I haven't actually been to his house yet, but uh, him and his lady are doing one too. And Westgate too. They Westgate. Yeah. He owns a cranberry farm, and he uh, he has a garden and like very handy, like very cool. Um, but I'm gonna give it a go. I'm gonna start small, see if I can get get keep one thing going, and then we could eat it, and that's then we don't have to spend money on it, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it feels so good to be able to just go out and. Pick something from your yard that you're going to utilize in your meal for the night. Hell yeah. I want to ask you a little bit about, um, I know we're going, we're, I said like an hour and we're, we're over that. Do you have more time? I do. All right. I wanted to ask you about the animal rights thing. Um, is it, I guess do you have like, do people think you're an extremist with any of your beliefs? Do you ever have any like? Well, my mom sure did. She did? But, <laughs> um, yeah, some people do, but you know, like for me, I I don't want to be involved in any killing of any being, you know. And part of part of now now I'm also spending a part of my day meditating, and and a, a lot of the uh, principles involved in being more in the moment and 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 meditating is involved in the in the process of not doing harm to any beings you know, any living being. So, you know, as as individuals, we don't have a lot of power in this uh, corporate-run world where the, the lines of government and corporations are blurring, you know, significantly these days. But we have the ability to vote with our dollars three times a day and what we put into our mouths. And the less, uh, the less cruelty that you put on your plate I see that as, you know, in, investing in your karma bank, you know, so. Yeah, it's because, uh, um, yeah, um, it's because we're disconnected. Are you, I'm sorry, we're disconnected from the um, the actual act of murdering an animal. So, like, sure. it doesn't, you don't, like, I, I eat animals still. I, eat, I had chicken earlier. I'm a hypocrite, believe me. But uh, I listen to a Joe Rogan podcast, and he talks about hunting a lot, and, uh, one thing he says about hunting that he likes is that, like, when he hunts something, now he saves all his meat, you know? Like, he eats all the stuff he hunts, so. Yeah. But he's, what he's saying is it gives you a greater uh, empathy for the animal if you've actually gone out and hunted your own food. And, like, what we have today in frozen meals and whatnot, there's no, con- there's there's a huge disconnect with the heartbeat of that animal. Right. And And one of my big ideas that I try to get across to people is the importance of eating lower on the food chain. Um, you know, because so, so much grain and corn goes into feeding animals to then be killed and eaten by humans. And, and there's a lot of energy that's lost in all of that transportation of grain to the cattle, to the cattle to be taken to the slaughter yard, to then be taken to your supermarket, to then be shipped across, you know, driven back to your house, to then be prepared on the oven with the natural gas. And, you know, if you just, if people would focus a little bit more on just eating the grains that are being fed to the cattle, We'd save a lot, a lot of money and and natural resources. So, and, and, you know, and our our world is permeated by so many processed foods and high fructose corn syrup and and all these things that 
major corporations are making you know millions and billions of dollars on that aren't necessary and on some levels are poisonous to our bodies you know so i i just try to advocate people read the labels and understand what you're getting in your foods try to eat less processed foods and um more fruits and vegetables I love fruits and vegetables, dude. I went last night to on my way back from the skate park, and I stopped at the grocery store, and that's what I picked up because <laughs> I was like craving fruits and vegetables. Uh, I got bananas and oranges, and uh, we had some pineapple. And uh, my girl got a watermelon. I'm psyched to chop that thing up. Hell yeah! So good. The natural sugar. It's not like you can. I can tell the difference as I get older between uh, artificial and like actual natural sugars is like amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool, man. Um, I'll, before we wrap it up, man, Kevin, you've been you've been too awesome, man. Um, I got a couple things. One is it's launchskate.org. Yes. Okay. Yeah, check that out. A lot of good things going on in Fort Collins. Very cool. So if they're in the area, they can check that out, and you'll there'll be stuff on there that they can like events and stuff that they can get involved in. For sure. Awesome. Yeah, there's monthly events going on at the center. We have a creative center where we have a huge library of zines magazines videos there's a partial uh deck museum there's a ramp to ride um and that's also where we do like the creative skate workshops and um there's a foosball table you know it's like it's kind of like a clubhouse where you can hang out and and learn things about skateboard history and and learn about what's going on next month at the center or what is there going to be a contest down down in Denver later next, this summer or whatever. So it's it's a big big information hub and uh, creative uh, center. And kids, people can just go there, and is there like a fee, or how does that work? It's a dollar an hour to skate the ramp. And, um, Damn, good you deal. Need to, you need, need to check the, the website to see uh, when they're open, because every month the hours are posted, and those those open hours are run by volunteers so depending on the, the uh, how nice the weather is outside we're usually open less in the summertime more so in the winter when when the indoor ramp space is more needed yep. because of inclement weather so yeah you, you kind of need to start by checking out the website and seeing what days out of the of the month uh it'll be staffed so that you can go down there but yeah if you want to just go down and aren't feeling like skating and just want to go read magazines for three hours when the, when the center's open on a Thursday night, go for it. Cool, man. That's very cool. Um, yeah, man, I just want to say thank you for coming on, man. And it's pretty cool that you're willing to come on the podcast and talk. Uh, it's still kind of a new media. Uh, I just saw the other day, though, uh, Mike V has a podcast out, The Mike V Show. And, ah. yeah, Tim O'Connor has uh, a podcast out as well, The Tim O'Connor Show. Yeah. I like that. It's funny that they all picked the Mike V show, the Tim O'Connor show, and I did the Shetler show. So, <laughs> but I got 56 episodes. Those guys got like three or four right now, but they're good. I listened to them. Tim Tim O'Connor had Fred Gall on, and it was cracking. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was so good. Uh, so Fred, Freddie's the man, dude, on that episode. You guys definitely have to check it out. Freddie was the man. He's talking about saving people's lives in other countries, and... uh I don't know. So just the way he tells the stories are amazing. And then Mike V, I listened to an episode and he has on Daniele Bolili. I don't know if I pronounced that right, but uh, 
Um, a very deep thinker, philosopher type dude. I've heard him on Joe Rogan's podcast and, uh, they talked about, Mike V told a story about trying to be a professional hockey player and hurting his arm and just like the tri- the struggles and trials that came with that. Um, it's cool, both, but it's cool. I was stoked because I want more pro skateboarders to do a podcast because I think the more flavors we have, the more different expressions and points of views and stuff, the cooler, the cooler it will be, you know? Yeah. And, just last month, I started. I made my first skateboard zine, and I, I made 20 copies of this uh, skateboard zine that I called Look Back. Good. And uh, and some, but now in the future, my Instagram is Look Back Zine. Sick. And I'm doing a blog now, or you know, basically an online zine at lookbackzine.blogspot.com. So check those out to see. Because I started getting sick of seeing, like I would hold on to these shoe boxes full of pictures that I took in the, you know, th- throughout the 90s and the 2000s. And, and like, there's so many rad photos, even if, you know, that I got to get them out of this, these shoe boxes and yeah, you gotta share them out there to where people can see them and see some of the cool things I experienced. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's all part of skate history at this point. Yeah, it's awesome. I'm going to follow you right now because I want to see all those photos. Um, it's look back, you said on Instagram at look back zine. All right. Look back zine. All right. And these will all be in the show notes too. To all my listeners, uh, we put out an email and, uh, all the show notes will be there on uh online as well. So you, all the links to everything will be there. Um sick man. Well thank you again and I really appreciate you taking your time to share um your story and how you've been involved with skateboarding. It takes all different types of people to have a skateboard industry. Not just like cool people that are good at contests or corporate dudes or small brands like all I need. It takes artists, filmers, it takes all different types of people. It just takes that dude with the hype. Like I have my homie Ramsey and like he's not the best skater by any more by any means, but he has so much heart and he like always hypes the session up and he films and he does like he was my team manager for all I need as well. And like it takes all different roles to to make skateboarding like the industry and make it cool and everyone can be involved no matter like whether you're good at skating and skating or not, which is awesome, you know. I agree. Yeah, and that that's you know. I'm just some kid from Kansas that somehow has worked in the skateboard industry essentially all of his adult life. And how does that happen? You know, it takes all kinds. Hell yeah, man. Thank you again, Kevin. All right. See you, Anthony. Later, brother. Hang on, brothers and sisters. Liberation is near. It's almost time. Rocking with the reed.